1744, the first golf club with a definite proof of origin was the company of gentlemen golfers who played of Leith, now called the Honourable Company of Edinburgh Golfers who play at Muirfield. It was that year when several gentlemen of honour, skillful in the ancient and healthful exercise of the golf, petitioned the Edinburgh City Council to donate a silver club for their annual competition on the Leith Links. The winner of the competition was declared captain of the golf for the year, and a silver ball with the date and the captain's name inscribed upon it was attached to the silver club. Thank you for listening to the Silver Club podcast. Here's your host, two-time Walker Cupper and former world amateur number one Steve Scott, and men's golf coach at Yale University and golf historian Colin Sheehan. Welcome back, everybody, to another Silver Club podcast. This is episode number 27 and part three of a three-part series with the legendary coach Bob Toski. I hope you've been able to check out the first two episodes. Toski has given us some great nuggets about playing on the tour way back in the 50s with Ben Hogan, Sam Snead, you name it. He was there and did it. He was the leading money winner on the tour back in 1954 and just had a legendary career in playing as well as teaching, founded the Golf Digest schools, all sorts of great stuff. Episode three is coming at you shortly. But before we get to that, I just wanted to talk to you real quickly about what the Silver Club Golfing Society is up to recently. We've got our schedule out right now. Check us out on silverclubgs.com. You'll be able to check out our one-day events. Our major events are member-only events, but we've got some awesome venues. We're going to be playing at the Country Club of Orlando March 17th to 18th. Coming up, we'll have our four-ball event to kick off the year and our first major And then April 1st, we'll go to the Trinity Forest Golf Club just outside of Dallas and have a great time there. Anybody can play in that. So hop on our website, enter that event, get to know us at the Silver Club. You're going to want to check out all of our events once you come and play at Trinity Forest. We've got some wonderful venues lined up throughout the season. And uh, so just check that out on our website. We've got major championship venues like Oak Hill up in Rochester at the end of June. Prairie Dunes is on the docket as well for one of our majors towards the end of the year. So check that out as well. Our society is growing every day. We've got people all around the country jumping on board, wanting to be a part of a competitive amateur society where you can hit shots that matter. So imagine hitting some of your best shots on some of these venues that you've seen on TV over the years. You're not going to want to miss it. Don't forget to pay attention to what we're doing out on the social media world as well on Instagram and Twitter at Silver Club Golf. We're on Facebook too. Get to know all sorts of great things that we're doing. One thing is a cool promotion for to, to really honor all of the greatest club champions out there all over the planet. You know, we've been in locker rooms, we've looked up at these honor boards, and we've seen the names of some players that have listed five, 10, maybe even 20 times at certain clubs. Maybe it's a father-son relationship who was, maybe they passed down the club championship victories in a way uh, through the family. But what we want to do at the Silver Club Golfing Society is we want to honor the greatest club champions from clubs all around the country, not just for their accomplishment, but for their legacies at their home clubs. And we need your help. Hop on our website, click on the drop-down menu in the top left, You're going to find the tab that says Greatest Club Champions. Hop on there, nominate your favorite player. Maybe it's yourself. Uh, Maybe it's your father. Maybe it's just a family friend or a, a member that you know very well who's had a great legacy at a club. 
Follow our feature pieces throughout February. And then in March, you're going to have a chance to vote for your greatest club champion based on all the features that we put out there on social media. The top 25 will be announced before the Masters and with the top three champions and submitters receiving prizes. So check that out on our site. Very cool thing. We're just trying to connect all these great stories and really what make up the fabric of this great game that we all love in our respective clubs. Please enjoy this last part of the three-part series with the legendary Bob Tosk. If you haven't listened already to the Tosk, as he's affectionately known, check out our first two that kicked off the year. Subscribe to our podcast, the Silver Club Podcast. We've had a ton of fun. It's just really special to be involved in this game like we are and It's really neat to be able to share in all this great camaraderie. And that's really what we're doing at the SCGS. We're connecting our members and our friends to some great golf experiences and some competitive golf experiences at all these great clubs. All right, without further ado, let's get to the great Bob Toski and all his great nuggets and just put a bow on this whole multi-series podcast. Enjoy. Talk about some of the other players over time that you that you've worked with, you know, maybe from Tom Kite to Judy Rankin to even uh, U.S. Women's Open champion Bertie Kim and how you got her career moving on. Judy Rankin came to me when she was about 18 years old. She flew in from Chicago. She met me at Miami Country Club. She had been with Gary Player down the Bahamas for a week. And she said, I... She told Mark McCormick, who I got started in IMG, and Mark had signed her, and she said, I don't ever want to see another golf pro that's been a good player. My father taught me to hook the ball with a very strong grip. I, you could see one, two, three, four knuckles on her left hand. And when she arrived, we went to the practice tee, and every ball she hit drew about 15, 20 feet. And I said, well, let me see you hit a fade. She said, I don't know how to hit a fade. I said, let me see you hit a straight ball. She said, I don't know how to hit a straight ball. My father only told me to hook the ball because I was small and light, and I had to get more top spin to get the ball to go further. So I said, the lesson's over. <laughs> we went and have lunch. Now, the, the, Don Budge, I think, was the tennis pro there. And and he, he, told, he said, he's telling me about this tennis player that had an unorthodox tennis swing, and they tried to change it, and he all of a sudden he couldn't play at all. He finally went back to, to an old teacher, and the old teacher taught him to play with the grip that he had on the tennis racket, and he became a successful uh, tennis player. So he's wondering if I was going to change Judy's grip. So we go to have lunch. He comes to the table. He says, how'd it go? I said, talk to Judy. She, she says, well, he never even gave me a lesson. He just asked me to hook the ball or hit it straight and fade it. And I told him I couldn't do it. So he, he says, let's go have lunch. So she didn't understand what I was I was up to. I I told her I had to leave and go to the men's room. And I, I called the superintendent. And I said, on the t- 11th hole, the wind was quartering from the east, which is right to left, and she would have to try to hit the ball into the crosswind and hold it in there. And we went down the middle of the fairway. I said, no, you 
know how well your drive would normally go? She said, yes. And this was a par five. And I said, well, we played from a shorter tee. And I said, can you get to the green? She said, yes. I said, let me see you strike the ball. Let's see if you can knock it out of the green. She hooked the ball, and the wind would take the ball. One bounce, the ball would go over the green. She hit it straight or cut it. She said, I don't know how to do that. I says, I'll teach you that. Oh, she, she had told me when she arrived, if you try to change my grip, I'm going home on the next plane. So I said, I won't change your grip. I'll teach you how to play golf with that grip. So what I did, Steve, is when she, I said, start down in slow motion, and I was holding her left hand. So I says, when you get to the bottom of your swing, when you, when you reach a point of impact, I want you to take your three fingers in your left hand and pull so fast you're going to feel like you hit your left knee. She looked at me and said, what? I showed her. I took a swing with a strong grip. I made a swing, and I pulled. At impact, I pulled so fast left that the left hand couldn't turn over. And I said, where's my ball going? She says, your ball's going straight. I said, well, I'm not trying to curve it. But I said, I can hook it. I can fade it. And I can do what you're doing with a, with your grip because I have strong, sensitive hands. I'll teach you how to control the golf ball with that grip. And when she left me and went back, all the guys on the tour said, I understand you taught Judy Rankin you didn't change your grip. You don't, If you didn't change your grip, she's never going to be a, a good player. I said, I dropped my wallet on the table. I said, how much do you want to bet? This girl won't make it big. <laughs> She's now in the Hall of Fame. And I, all the guys, that, uh, the Hebert brothers, Rosberg, all the guys were giving me a suit jack, all giving me a hard time. I says, uh, what happened to Judy? She's playing with the same grip that she came with me, and she's now in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> so That's a great story. Great story. Yeah. Great story. How about, how, about Tom, you know, how, about, how about Tom Kite? I know you, you worked a bit with, with Tom Kite, and uh, you always told me a funny oh. story about how, how his eyes didn't quite uh, work the right way in the golf swing. Well, it wasn't so much the eyes. It's, he took lessons from Harvey Penick, and his clubhead would move inside so fast, inside, that when he was going back to the ball, he would move the club away from his body, and did you ever hear centripetal force and centrifugal force? Yes. Centripetal force is the force that is being moved toward the center on the way down, the center of your body from the inside. Cent centrifugal force is the force that moves away from the center. Bobby Jones used to go so far inside, but he came back to the line. He didn't come from the outside. He, he was inside, then back inside, and on the line, the ball went dead straight. So he learned to play golf from centrifugal force, not right. centripetal force. Right. Hogan played golf from centripetal into centrifugal because then the force is moving away from your body through impact, but it moves toward your body on the way down. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, I, I guess I guess that would be correct. <laughs> Boy, you, you're getting a hell of a lesson. You're going to be a hell of a teacher if you keep talking to me. But anyway, <laughs> Bernie Kim had, was with Ledbetter. And her father sent her to me because I had gone over to Korea and spent some, oh, just a week over there. And I was so impressed with the teachers and their knowledge and their 
their application of knowledge. They had read my book, How to Become a Complete Golfer. And when she came to me, she could hardly speak English. And she was tall and strong and had what I would call a golf swing that was almost a 10. She was that, her swing was that good, that sound, and she was that good a ball striker. Now, there was a, there was a telephone pole in my driving range about 150 yards away. And I said, Bernie, I'm going to take three golf balls. I'm going to try to hit that telephone pole, which is 150 yards away, and I'm going to hit a six iron. And on the second ball, I hit the telephone pole. So I, I said, okay, I'm finished. It's your turn. What do you think happened when she hit the golf ball? I'm not sure. Steve, she hit it on the first ball. <laughs> she hit the telephone pole on the first ball. You know what I said to her? No what? more no more driving range instruction. We're going to play golf. I'm going to teach you how to take that golf swing and learn how to make a number. Because you don't ever shoot any low numbers. You're always around 70, 71, 72. You might shoot 69, but you don't ever shoot low enough. So we're going to do nothing but play golf every day, and I'm going to give you a playing lesson every day. You won't be able to beat me. I'll beat you, even when I'm giving you a playing lesson. She couldn't beat me. <laughs> she couldn't beat me. She would really get upset because I said, you can't even beat an old man. <laughs> so I, I decided I know how much Chris love money, and I told her, I said, if you can beat me by one shot, I'll give you $20. Well, it only took about a week before she beat me. I'm shooting 68, she shoots 67. I shoot 69, she shoots 68. And I'm giving her $20. And after a while, I said, well, Bertie, this is costing me money. <laughs> and she kind of laughed. But she always accepted it graciously and smiled. Before she was so unhappy, she couldn't beat me. But... Her concentration got better, and her ability to learn was quicker because she loved cash. So now we're going out to play, and I said, today, we're not playing for money. She said, why? I said, we're going to, I'm going to see if you can play and beat me for pride, bragging rights. Hmm. Let me see if you can play as hard for bragging rights as you do for money. She went out and beat me. I said, now you've learned what golf is all about. Now, she's going to play in the U.S. Open out in Colorado Springs. I said, you don't have to shoot low. It's going to be even par or over par that's going to win the tournament. You don't have to shoot any 65. Stay around par, stay a little above it or a little below it, and you're going to have a chance to win the tournament. Okay, you're not going to believe this story. So her caddy, I didn't like his, her caddy because I thought he was uh, uh, taking advantage of her. I knew this guy, uh, something about him I didn't like. Well, anyway, I said, you've got to call me every morning and then talk. we got to call me every night. Let's discuss your round of golf and why you did it and didn't do that. And uh, I said, you're, you're doing good. You're staying around 70. And on the last day, she said, she called me in the morning and I said, who are you playing with? And she gets all excited and says, I'm playing with Michelle Wee. And I really, I lost it. I said, Michelle Wee is playing with you. I said, this is her first U.S. Open. And I played in my first U.S. Open at Marion. 
I shot 71, 69, 80. And I said, she won't break 80 today. Hmm. And I said, do you want, to, you want to bet me a small amount of money? No. So she shot 81, I think. Yeah. Michelle Weezer. Wow. Birdie is coming to the last hole. Now, I, she puts the ball in the bunker. And on her approach shot, the, the yeah. slope of the the slope the slope of the green was so high, high to low, and the shot was about sixty feet. I said, "You need to throw the ball up to the right and let the gravity take the ball down toward the hole. You can't try to carry the ball toward the toward the hole." She throws the ball up because we we worked on that shot, and she throws the ball up in the high side of the green. It rolls and rolls and rolls right in the hole. She makes three. <laughs> And Morgan, Morgan Pressel, who was at my club, St. Andrews, representing St. Andrews, was in the middle of the fairway crying, bawling. And she thought she was supposed to win the tournament. She was in the last threesome. She now has to make three, and she made five. Bertie wins her first tournament that's a major. So she says, would you keep the trophy for me for one year? I said, sure. So when she came back to pick up the trophy, I said, how, how many names are on the trophy? And she, she, I said there were 12 people on that trophy that won the Open that I taught. Wow. 12 women. She didn't believe that. I said, well, if you don't believe it, call them. If, I don't know if they're alive, but give them a call. Well, <laughs> you won't believe this. I told her not to pay her caddy until she called me. Now, she was in a state of euphoria. And how much do you think she paid her caddy? He charged her 15% of the purse that she made, $70,000. 15%, wow, that's, a, that's pretty high. And, but I told her to call me before she paid him. And when she told me she paid him 70000 I said, Bertie, either you don't pay attention. I told you not to pay him until you call me. This guy is taking advantage of you. She fired him the next week. Okay. She won. So, she wins the U.S. Women's Open with this caddy, and then fires him. Well, because she now realized he nailed her for seventy thousand, fifteen percent. Now she, she, she gives my wife and I a pair of watches, and I take them to this watch place in the mall, and I give the these these watches to this guy, and he says, "Bob, they're knockoffs." Oh, no. He said, they're, they're no good. Her father had bought these watches knockoff, and he gave them up to her to give to me. That was my present for her when the U.S. Open. And what she did not know, she didn't know that she had knockoff watches. Her father didn't tell her that. And when I told her that the watches she gave me were no good, she didn't know what to say. And I said, that, that's no problem. But she lost her exemption after five years because she didn't pay enough attention to her golf game, and she left me as a teacher. She she and left she you after to, after winning the tournament. She leaves you. Interesting. She didn't. No, in five years I didn't see her as much as I did in one or one or two years. Right. So here she wins the Open, and she hasn't won another tournament, and she's now on. She now she came. She playing on some satellite tours and shooting seventy fives and sixes. What does that tell you? Unbelievable. 
No, she needed me. I made her what she was, and then she, you know what I call it? A divorce <laughs> or, a separate, or a separation. Our marriage ended as far as a teacher-player relationship was concerned. So that's the story of Bertie Kim and Judy Rankin. I could go on and on and tell you stories about my my career with golfers and pros, and uh, you wouldn't believe some of the stories. Tommy Bolt threw more clubs in the air when he took a uh, he hit, when he hit. We had a clinic, and Zamarit used to say, when Tommy got ready to hit a wood, he said, "Tommy Bolt has more air time than Delta Airlines." <laughs> Oh, that's that is that's a great great saying. Now, now, but you 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 talk a little bit about though, like uh, one story. I, I, I we could talk all day, but I want to I want to get get you going here. Uh, but one question I really wanted to just to to ask you was your involvement with really the beginnings of the senior tour. Uh, I remember you always telling me a great story about this. Will you relay this to our Silver Club podcast listeners? Well, my my answer to your question is, uh, the guy that runs the tour was Tim Fincham at the time. And I he should have had me speak before all these senior pros that were turning pro to go on tour and tell them about what happened and how the tour started. Now, in, in 1979, there were 24 players invited to play in a two-man team. The married, uh, Fred Rayfield and the married were doing the show wonderful world of golf, and they had Saracen and Cotton playing. And Rayfield was so impressed with their shot making, he said, Boy, we ought to have a senior tour. And the married said, No, never work because from tee to green, these guys would play good, but they, they couldn't make a four footer. They'd have the yips. And, and so the married said, A two man team might work. So they said, okay, let's have a two-man team. In 1979, there were 24 players invited to play in a two-man team. And I was not, quali- I was not qualified because I, on the exemption list, I didn't qualify. So he, he puts in leading money winner and leading point getter for the Ryder Cup. So now he gets me and he qualifies me to play in the team event. And he he calls us together on Wednesday. Now we're going to play Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. He says, I need to raise $400,000, and we don't have a sponsor. And if we don't get a good gate, you guys might not get paid. He, we all said we came here to play. We're not worried about the money. So out of the 24 players that were invited to play, how many think, how many of the 24 are alive today? Maybe uh, not not very many. Obviously, you and that's Jack Jackie Burke. Jackie Burke, right? That's it. We're the only two alive out of the twenty-four. So, well, so, so what? So what? What happened when you were when you were out there and and you you saw the people coming through the gates and? No, uh, no. Demar says to me, I, "You met Gene Sargent when you were sixteen years old at Northam Country Club with Dave Zaharis." And he says, I understand he's your idol. I said, yes. He said, well, we're honoring him. He's going to be the first honoree, and we're going to introduce him on the first tee. He's going to be hit the first ball. And he said, do you want to play in this twosome? I said, 
I love it. Uh, and I said, Jimmy, I love it. He said, well, he's teeing off at 9 o'clock. Do you want to play that early? And I laughed. I said, Jimmy, we used to be dew sweepers. We used to tee us up at 6 and 7 o'clock in the morning. You know that. <laughs> so so we're on the first tee. I'm standing there watching Sarazen being introduced, and they're trying to go with a long line of, of uh, what he accomplished. And he, he says, stop. That's enough. Tees the ball up, takes one look. Takes a wagon, whack, right down the middle of the fairway. Now, I'm getting flashbacks of when I was 16 years old, I, when I met him with Babes and Harriet. And I start, I break down, I start crying. Because I'm going back when I was 16 years old. Yeah, John Trimboli, my caddy, who was a professional from the South Florida section, said to me, what are you crying for? I said, John, hand me the towel and shut up. So I... I, I wiped the tears off my eyes, and I'm going up on the last one to hit. And believe you me, Steve, I know what the average handicap player now is thinking. I'm standing with the ball. Don't top it. Don't shank it. Don't hit it out of bounds. Don't sky it. Just try to put the ball in the fairway. And I drive the ball down the middle of the fairway. And before I start walking off to tee, Sarazen puts his hand on my right shoulder, and he says, you see what I see? I said, yeah, they're lined up from tee to green on both sides of the fairway. This was a par five. He said, Bob, I think we're going to get paid. Now, I walked to my ball, and I said to Tromboli, John, this ball didn't go anywhere. I can't believe how short I hit it. He said, you were swinging in slow motion. <laughs> now, I had the instinct to take speed off the golf swing to control the face of the club to hit the ball in the fairway which a lot of players can't do. It's knowing how to decrease speed to make con better control of the club face. I, I didn't hit the ball 200 yards, and I normally hit it 260. Right. And, Trim and Tromboli said, well, Bob, you don't have any idea, but you look like you're swinging in slow motion. <laughs> so human instincts is a hell of a thing. But I'll never forget that first tournament. I'll never forget the merit. Saying to me, he, I had to put a clinic on a Wednesday, and he says, "How much do I owe you?" I said, "You, I owe you, Jimmy. You don't owe me. You've adopted me. You've done more for me than I could imagine." So that was the beginning of the senior tour. No, it's they ought to write an article: the greatest mulligan in the history of golf. <laughs> it's been it's been a great mulligan and great annuity for uh, many many players over time. Oh, no, I, how about the players that never played on tour now? They're on the senior tour and making a good living. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's tough to make it out there if you didn't if you didn't play the tour. But it, there are some spots, and uh, no question, it's. Uh, well, do you know that? Do you know that there are guys that are uh, practicing five years and working hard on their golf games to compete and try to get on a big senior tour and make money? And, and, the, and you know there are a lot of names that you wouldn't recognize. There's a lot of great players out there, and uh, pretty amazing that uh, you know that they're able to play some some great golf for a long time. It, it takes me to one quick story before we go. Before my last question to you, I, I've got to tell our listeners this story about you. And uh, back in, I guess it was 15 years ago. You're 78 years old, and I had the the fortune to, uh, to oh, maybe I didn't realize it at the time, but I had the fortune to caddy for you in a, uh, there was a senior mini tour event 
in South Florida at a place called Wellington Country Club. It was out near West Palm Beach. And, and uh, you know, the, it gave me a great insight into the, the detail of which you, you think and play golf and, the, and the, the, the tenacity of which you played golf because I'd never really been in, with you in a competitive situation before. And so we got out there and get to the first hole and you hit your drive right down the middle and you've got, uh, you know, it's 130 yards to the front and 145 yards to the hole. And I said, okay, you got 130 to the front plus 15, 145. And you said, plus 15 what? And I said, well, 15 <laughs> yards, you 15 paces from the front to the hole. It's like, no, not yards. I deal in feet. How many feet from the front? <laughs> And well, I said, well, forty-five feet. So, <laughs> so that was uh, that was my first the uh, first hole. You kind of you kind of you know, needled me really good. And and so the next hole, it, it was it was actually you got me without really even saying anything. So it's a par five. And and you're again, you're seventy-eight years old. And this gives credit to the the speed and the the agility of which your body can <laughs> could still swing a club and still can to this day. But. So you're 78 years old, and this par five is about 530 yards. It's downwind, and you hit a very nice tee shot down there. And there's like 260 yards to the hole, and and you know there's some bunkers in the landing area, maybe for a layup shot. And I said, okay, let's just pick a let's pick a good a good yardage to uh, to lay up to because we we want to make sure we keep it away from these fairway bunkers up there, so you have a nice wedge to the green. You take a look. You take a look at me without saying a, without saying a word. And you, you, you kind of gave me a stern kind of, it was almost like a Ben Hogan type of look. And you take this three wood, you pull three wood out of the bag, because I got my hand like on this seven iron to lay it up or something. And you, you take this three wood out of the bag, give me this look, and you get up there and you hit this ball onto the green at 78 years old from 260 yards. And it blew my mind. And it was as, <laughs> I was just in shock as we walked all the way up to the green. But it was, it was a moment, really two moments on those first two holes that I'll absolutely never, ever forget. It was uh, just a, <laughs> it, was some, it was some sort of scene. Well, if you're not bold and brave, you're going to find a grave. And <laughs> I knew I'd rather have been close to the green in the bunker because I was a hell of a bunker player. Then I would be to lay up with a seven iron. Then have I don't know, I I I don't want to be that far from the green on my third shot, but because we used to play more aggressively to the green and hope to get closer to, to get the ball up and down. Uh, course management was not to lay up with a seven iron. Then have another seven iron to the green. Uh, I, 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 that's the way I play golf. Uh, and you, uh, you, I knew I could strike the ball well with a wood club, so I, I knew you wanted me to lay up. But uh, you, you did you it know, pretty well. You played pretty. You played. You played. Uh, you played the right shot, and it was. It was just. It was just an amazing. But, it was. It was. Uh, it it kind of blew my mind at, at the at the age that you were at, and you still had all that distance. Yeah, I remember qualifying at seventy to play in uh, the U.S. Senior Open. I was low qualifier, shot 70 to play in the Open at, up at uh, Illinois. I think it was, uh, I forgot the name of the club now, but it was an old club. And I'm on a putting green, putting, and Arnold Palmer walks up to the putting green, and you won't believe what he said to me. He says, are you doing television this week? <laughs> I said, I said, Arnold, 
I'm playing in a tournament like you are, but I didn't get an exemption. I had to qualify and I shot 70 and was low qualifier at 70 years of age. And he looked at me like, you got to be kidding. And I, the last thing I said to him, I said, I hope we both make the cut. We both missed the cut by one shot. Oh, man. <laughs> but my, my, claim to, my claim to fame was I tied Arnold Palmer. <laughs> oh, that's, that, is, that is something. You, you, the longevity that you had and that you still have in this game is just something, you, like you mentioned, 93 years young right now. Uh, you, about a year and a half ago, you, you, had, you had some health issues. You, you, you suffered a heart attack, I had, and you're still back my teaching. My heart stopped five times. <laughs> my heart stopped five times. Wow. My doctor, came to my, my doctor came to my bedside, and he said, Bob, it was touch and go there for a while. I thought I lost you. And I said to him, I was halfway to heaven, Doc, but they sent me back because they said they weren't ready for me. <laughs> and he says, was that in your dream? He said, no, I just made that up. <laughs> you know what? You know, Steve, I want to tell you, I still don't believe it. This is a dream that I can't believe that came true. I was just a poor old Polish boy from a large family. And what I see every day, I begin to say, why did it happen to me? And why did it happen to me? And I said, I've been blessed. I don't know why, but I was the chosen one. I made more money than all my sisters and brothers put together. And I still today wonder why. Why was it me? Why was I the chosen one? And to me, I'm, I'm witnessing a dream that I didn't ever think would come true. <laughs> what do you want your legacy to be in, in the game of golf? It would, do you think it's more on the competition side? Do you think it's more on the instruction side? No. What do you want your legacy to be? When I when I speak now, I I say we live to learn and then we learn how to live. That's my opening statement. I said a lot of people have lived to learn but never learned how to live. They had five divorces. They went broke. Uh, they committed suicide. <laughs> I started out by that way. And I said, you know, when I played on tour, I had to beat 150 players. And yes, you said I was full of tenacity. I was, I was tenacious because I was told I was too small and too light to compete with the big players. So that made me stronger mentally. And I then realized that I, when I taught that I was a better person teaching than I was playing because as you, when you play, you're self-centered, selfish. You're only thinking about winning and money and fame. And when I started teaching now, I had to teach other people to play better golf, to enjoy the game, and try to play better, to enjoy the game and enjoy their life and their lifestyle with their families. So I would always close the uh, speech by saying golf is G-O-L-F. G is God, O is others, L is love, F is family and friends. And the teaching part of it made me a better person because my mind was on somebody else's problem, not my own. And I want all of you to understand that when you play golf, remember G-O-L-F, golf is God, others, family, love, family, and friends. 
And if I've made any one of you play better golf to enjoy the, your lifestyle, I'm a better person because of it. Well, we look, I, that is a perfect way to put a bow on this Silver Club podcast. And really the message really to everybody who loves the game, it's a wonderful message to teach. You were really the most, uh, most unselfish person that I've ever met. Uh, you've made my golfing life since I've met you in 2003, just infinitely better. My, my golf game is, is, uh, has been great and consistent and I flat out enjoy the game, enjoyed the game more in these last 16 years than in, in any time that I've played. And I, I really owe that all to you. And I, I know I'm not alone out there and, and, uh, we just, the, the whole golfing world really owes Bob Toski a, a debt of gratitude for, for everything you've done. And, uh, just, just can't thank you enough for everything you've done for the game and for being on our, our Silver Club podcast uh, now, Bob. It's just uh, been a tremendous time speaking with you. Well, uh, Steve, you know what happened when I first met you? I didn't know who you were. Yes, I knew you got beat by Tiger Woods. Was you having five or six down? <laughs> five down, but who's counting? <laughs> uh, and, you got, and you got whipped. Right, <laughs> like a lot of but, people did. <laughs> but but you know what? Look at how how close we are as friends. Your wife is a special person to me, and so are you. <laughs> and and when I meet people like you, you make my life better. And you are a special person to me. <laughs> and you're a man of good character. You're a good family man, and you become a better golfer and a better teacher. So I'm, I can live with myself and be happy with that. All right. Well, that will put a bow on this great multi-part podcast with Bob Toski. If you haven't checked out the first two episodes, please go back. Episode number 25 and 26 of our overall Silver Club podcast, really kicking off this year the right way. Thank you as a listener out there in podcast land. We really appreciate everything you do and kind words that you spread about our podcast and about our society. Don't be afraid to hop on and subscribe to our podcast so you make sure you don't miss a single episode throughout the year. If you have any great ideas for some future guests, please don't be afraid to pop us a note through social media at Silver Club Golf on Instagram and Twitter. We just love having you as a listener and can't thank you enough for everything you've done. We'll bring you another Silver Club podcast real soon. Thanks so much for listening.